0: To cool Canadian history. I'm your host, David Boris. In the summer of sixteen forty-eight, the expanding Haudenosaunee Confederacy, otherwise known as the Five Nations Iroquois, launched a series of successful military raids into Wendake the traditional territory of the Wendat people. These attacks not only killed Wendat men, women, and children, but also destroyed villages and crops while the Haudenosaunee warriors carried off whatever foodstuffs and captives they could carry. These expeditions created a crisis for the surviving Wendat who had very few options. Stay in their traditional territory and face starvation, or flee to a region where they could better protect themselves from the encroaching Haudenosaunee and hopefully survive the coming winter. The choices that would be made in the aftermath of these attacks would forever change the world of the Wendat. This is Season 7, Episode 7, Gahendo and the Loss of Wendaki. Today's book recommendation is by the author Catherine McGee LaBelle. It is the book titled Dispersed But Not Destroyed, A History of the 17th Century Wendat People. This was published by UBC Press in 2013. Now, it's important to understand the background to the military operations that were occurring in the mid-17th century. The Haudenosaunee Confederacy was made up of five Iroquois-speaking nations, the Mohawk, Oneida, Onondaga, Cayuga, and Seneca. In the 1640s, this Confederacy began attempts to expand its territorial control specifically to gain access to more regions with large numbers of fur-bearing animals, as well as control key fur-trading routes. Historians have referred to this expansion period as the Iroquois Wars, or more well-known, the Beaver Wars. Now, the Confederacy had traditionally traded with the British and the Dutch, while their main rivals, the Wendat and Algonquin, had established very strong trading links with the French. The insatiable European demands for fur led to the Confederacy depleting the numbers of fur-bearing animals in their own homeland. Yet the wealth that the fur trade afforded the Confederacy, along with their historic rivalry with the Wendat and Algonquin, led to the military decision to expand the Confederacy's holdings at the expense of their rivals. The Confederacy conquered the Mohican Territory in the late 1620s, then began to successfully push the Algonquin out of their traditional territory in the Ottawa Valley. Finally, the Confederacy set its sights on the Wendat, and by the late 1640s had begun to attack in force. Over the course of 1648 and 1649, there were numerous attacks on Wendat villages throughout Wendaki, which encompasses much of modern-day southern Ontario. These confederacy attacks, sometimes consisting of as many as 1,000 Haudenosaunee warriors, were disastrous for the Wendat. Hundreds of captives were dragged back to Haudenosaunee territory. Somewhere between 630 and 880 Wendat warriors were killed, Loads of provisions were stolen, and crops and villages were burnt to the ground. Now, the Haudenosaunee certainly had some advantages in their military excursions, and this explains some of this success on their part. They had greater access to European firearms, and so were better equipped than their Wendat foe. The size of the Haudenosaunee raiding parties often overwhelmed many Wendat villages, The Wendat were used to going to war with much smaller numbers of warriors. Finally, the Haudenosaunee challenged many Wendat customs when it came to warfare. For instance, they attacked in the spring when the Wendat food stocks were low and the hunting was difficult. This was generally a period of peace for the Wendat. As well, the Haudenosaunee broke Wendat customs of combat by attacking at night, which often surprised the Wendat villages and overran them, before successful defense could be orchestrated. Despite the fact that many Wendat warriors fought bravely and even defeated some Haudenosaunee attacks, the consequences of these military invasions were profound, and the Wendat found themselves facing a crisis by 1649. The loss of so much food, And so many warriors meant that the Wendat would not only struggle to eat that coming winter, but also struggle to defend themselves if their enemy returned. Thus, approximately 6,000 Wendat from all over Wendaki convened on the village of St. Marie to discuss their options. Today, St. Marie is in fact an historical living museum just south of Highway 12 on the southern shores of Georgian Bay. The main concern for the Wendat was that remaining in Wendaki was simply no longer a good option due to the depleted food stocks as a result of the Haudenosaunee attacks. Now, there was plenty of debate on what to do. Some felt dividing up into small bands or family groups and dispersing into the interior made the most sense for survival. Others, however, were concerned that by dispersing, they would not be able to defend themselves against larger Haudenosaunee raids. And in the end, this latter position won out, and the majority of the Wendat agreed to move together to a new location. The decision on the new location was an interesting reflection of the Wendat's geopolitical position in relation to New France. One of the islands put forward for resettlement was done so by a Jesuit advisor, in fact. This was an island that was already inhabited by Anishinaabeg allies and Jesuit missionaries. Now, traditionally, the Anishinaabeg traded furs to the Wendat, who in turn traded them to the French. If the Wendat were to move to this recommended island they would effectively forfeit their valuable position as middlemen in the Anishinaabeg-Wendat French fur trade. So instead, the Wendat chose the island of Gahindo, a large island, 13,413 acres in size, known today as Christian Island. This island, which was still in Wendaki, had ample space for cultivation was rich in fish, and there was even already a small Wendat village on the island itself. Even more important, though, it was close enough to the mainland for the Wendat to hunt, but far enough away from the mainland that any Haudenosaunee attack would be spotted ahead of time. Finally, by occupying this island, the Wendat could still ensure their key position within the valuable fur Trade. Because of these factors, nearly all of the Wendat families agreed to this move, and they even invited several Jesuits and French soldiers to go with them to help with the initial establishment of what would become an extremely large colony. The Jesuits were valuable liaisons between the Wendat and the French. They had alternate access to food sources via their connections with New France and the European soldiers that came with them could assist and even advise on defensive measures. Something like 16 different Wendat villages thus began the process of packing up all their belongings, stripping their villages of all essential items, and within two weeks, the first refugees were on the move, and throughout the rest of March 1649, the Wendat began arriving on the island to begin their new lives. Even though this migration was quite large, Haudenosaunee warriors continued to raid any groups that strayed too far from the main body, and Haudenosaunee warriors shadowed the Wendat for most of their migration. Folks, I just want to take a second before we continue to let you know that we rely heavily on your donations. If you go to our Facebook page or website, you will see links to PayPal or Patreon. Both of these links provide safe and secure ways to donate to the podcast. PayPal gives you the option to donate one time. Well, Patreon allows you to set up regular preset donations. So if you want to donate five bucks for every episode we publish, well, Patreon allows you to set that up. We survive exclusively on your donations and every dollar donated is extremely helpful in allowing us to continue to bring you this history program. As well, on our Facebook page, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, you can leave us a rating and a comment. We love to hear from you. So please don't be shy, and thank you to all who have donated. We could not keep doing this without you. By the end of June 1649, something like 8,000 Wendat and about 60 Europeans now lived on the island, divided into two large settlements, so one containing approximately 1,000 people and another that contained about 100 longhouses. A longhouse often contains 60 to 80 people. And there were also a series of smaller villages dotted throughout the island. Now, one of the two large settlements was positioned along the southern shore of the island, within plain sight of mainland Wendaki, and was encircled by fortifications. In fact, several of the European soldiers provided guidance in building these, and soon the Wendat village and the Jesuit mission next to it, were surrounded by a stone wall with bastions at each corner of the curtain perimeter, a truly imposing defensive position. Historians have estimated that the population on Gahendo by that summer of 1649 represented approximately 86% of the entire Wendat population. Now, it did not take long before the Wendat began to clear the land and plant fields, and as the summer progressed, despite more trees still needing to be cleared, cornfields began to dot the island. Yet regardless of this planting, bad luck would strike the Wendat. The summer of 1649 was an unusually dry summer, and the lack of rain limited the growth of crops. By the time the summer was coming to an end, Wendat leaders were clearly concerned about an emerging food crisis and the hardships that the people would suffer come winter. Alternative foods were sought after, in anticipation of the coming hunger season. Acorns, for instance, became the first main alternative food source sought, as well as otsa, which is a bitter root. Others collected wild garlic, and some even stripped trees of the bark, to boil it and drink. But the lack of rain meant the failure of the crops, and this simply meant a food crisis on a disastrous level. By the time winter set in, famine and then sickness was spreading throughout the Wendat community. While the Jesuits did have reserve food stocks, even these couldn't feed everyone, though holding these food stocks certainly allowed the Jesuits to convert more of the Wendat Due to promises of food. Now, things became so bad that winter that some Wendat began to eat the excrement of animals and humans. Others even dug up corpses, and finally, cannibalism was resorted to, even though this was strictly forbidden in Wendat culture. With famine and sickness spreading, the death rate became appalling. And it was clear that instead of becoming a place of survival, Gahendo had become an island of death for the Wendat people. As historian Catherine LaBelle writes, and I quote, Families and loved ones watched each other die with very little opportunity to save them. One young mother, for instance, was found dead, while her two infant children continued to suck at her breasts. Shortly after, the children also died. Many parents did not have the strength or resources to help their children, let alone themselves. As spring returned and more food sources became available, Haudenosaunee activity increased as well. Any Wendat who crossed to the mainland to get food found themselves prone to an attack by enemy war parties. A series of small battles took place throughout March and into April, and even when the Wendat proved victorious, it was clear the Wendat were barely holding on. In April of 1650, serious discussions began on what to do. If the Haudenosaunee were to attack the island in force, the Wendat simply might not be able to defend themselves at all. At the same time, the Wendat losses during the hunger winter and the general weakness of the starving population meant that the arduous task of planting more crops was simply out of the question. A decision was finally made. The Wendat were to leave the island. Now a number of options were put forward, but in the end the decision was made to exodus, and a strategic dispersal plan was drawn up. And this included small groups of Wendat to leave the island and scattered to different locations throughout the interior. The Wendat Nation was officially breaking up. In the autumn of 1650, a small group of Wendats still remained on the island, a sort of rear guard, and they took part in one last battle against the Haudenosaunee. In early fall, the encroaching enemy, still thinking the Wendat were on the island in force, had set up a base on the mainland, from where they would attack Wendat groups leaving the island. Later that autumn, a surprising gesture of peace was made to the remaining Wendat on the island. A Haudenosaunee envoy arrived, professing goodwill, and sought to invite the Wendat to their base to discuss a peace settlement. It was clear, however, to the Wendat leaders that this was a Haudenosaunee trap designed to eliminate the last of the Wendat in the region. The Wendat, plain gullible, decided to instead invite a large group of Haudenosaunee leaders and warriors to come feast at their settlement on the island. But when this enemy arrived, the Wendat fell upon them and killed everyone except three who managed to escape. In the aftermath of this victory, the last of the Wendat left Gahendo for good. The decision to leave the island was one made of desperation. A people that were starving, sick, dying, and under constant attack from their enemies sought whatever strategy which would allow them to survive as a nation. Sadly for the Wendat, the Gahindo settlement failed. And while the Wendat people would survive now as a diaspora entity, The people were nonetheless forced to abandon their traditional territory of Wendaki and now, as smaller, scattered, isolated groups, make their own future in new territory amongst new people in a rapidly changing world. I want to thank you all for listening today. A reminder... You can find us on Facebook, you can find us on Instagram, and you can find us at our homepage, CoolCanadianHistory.com. And you can find me on Twitter, at DocBoris, that's at V-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S. Thank you for tuning in, and stay cool.